How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast, and let's get into our second live podcast. And so um, today, as always, there is absolutely zero agenda about what we're going to be talking about. Um, so essentially, whatever you guys want to chit-chat, what the heck is going on? Am I still live? I'm, I think I'm live. I don't see myself live on my computer monitor screen. Um, <laughs> wait, that's not it. Oh, that's that's a lie. I am live. I'm live, but kind of. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Okay. Um, I don't know what's going on here on the PC setup. Okay, we're good. We're wait. Are we not good? What's going on here? Channel. Okay. Yes, we are good. JK. Um, so as always today, n- no real agenda. Uh, we're going to just kind of um, allow people to just kind of come in to the chat and uh, we'll just kind of go about um, different things. Um, so... To touch on, man, what was that uh, that person had asked me the other day? Oh, um, I'm actually very curious about, um, is it possible to have more than a two-party system? I'm really curious about that. And um, so I, I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast yet. I, and episode 92, that's what today's live podcast would be considered is episode 92. Um, I, I, there's clearly going to be a ton of things that we're going to be talking about, but I, I I think I've touched on this before. So when I was raised in Florida, I was a, a hardcore conservative individual, and um, I, I believed in and in, in being physically responsible, and I studied finance, and I was a gun owner. And, um, there was a a lot of things that I aligned. I I was against abortion. Um, I wasn't for government getting involved with abortions, but that's a subject that we could tackle maybe live on the podcast, but was not religious. I mean, at first when I was of age, I was kind of religious, but I was getting away from the religious perspective. And so I was kind of religious, not really. Um, so there was a lot of parts of, of myself that were uh, raised being conservative. And then as I got older, I started to lean away from that perspective and start to lean more on the liberal uh, perspective because I really felt that conservatives really fell, uh, failed society um, for a majority of the time that I was alive up to uh, Obama's point. I saw a lot of failures that existed under the leadership of the conservative party. And it got me really challenging the perspective of whether that party was the right party. And instinctively what most people to do is they start to navigate to the, the opposite side. And that was the democratic party. And I started to agree with certain of their, some, certain of their points that they uh, were fighting for, which was like an equality perspective, like viewing everyone as equals and not not prejudging individuals based off of their sexual orientation and and everything of that nature. And uh, but there was just a lot of stuff that I didn't agree with it as well. Uh, one of them 
and uh, it's been a, a strong message recently is universal health care. I don't, I, that's a tough one because, okay, so there are many different ways that the, 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 um, Democrats have been trying to kind of offer universal health care to everyone. But I just I don't think they're really targeting the right areas. They're trying to just give everyone a whole bunch of insurance where we know that healthcare costs in the US are some of the most expensive in the world when it comes to level of care. And then the technology is not that much better compared to a lot of other countries as well. So I always it always bothered me that we never really tackled the conversation about just how expensive the healthcare system is and how it's very geared towards a for-profit model. And it's always been towards, let's just give everyone insurance and let's just foot the bill for everything. And I just, I don't know if that's the responsibly or like the, the responsible thing to do. And then it went from there to like, I, I don't know, like the UBI as well, like universal basic income. And I, I used to be a big a proponent for that. And I, I actually um, enjoyed the idea of thinking that Americans should be given some form of dividend back for all the success that a lot of other massive companies have had that really diminish uh, em- employees in many different regards. Amazon being the most popular of all of them, um, essentially, they hire a fifth of the total amount of people that Walmart hires, but yet they generate almost just as much revenue as Walmart. And it's because they've automated out a lot of different jobs. And I really feel like this pandemic, and I've talked about this before, and I've talked about it with uh, with friends before, that I feel like this, this pandemic is really going to incentivize businesses to start to look to really minimizing the amount of employee involvement that they have in their in their core business and, and look towards more automated services. And... Um, it's it's crazy to see just how quickly a lot of companies are adopting that because they really understand the impact of of having employees, which is you know we get sick, we're we're fragile, we have our own means, we have our own agendas, we can quit whenever we want to, and all of this this freedom and 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 li- ex- creates a liability for businesses. And when businesses are trying to um, chase you know, profit margins and, and become more profitable and, and, and generate more revenue for shareholders. It essentially generates this like extreme interest in trying to minimize the biggest expense for companies, which generally is employees, because, you know, when you employ someone, you have to prepay into um, or you have to like offer certain benefits and to be, remain competitive. And it just it becomes very expensive for companies and when you start to automate a lot of this work away, a lot of people are, are losing jobs and, and they don't really have a means to enter a competitive workforce anymore. And so they kind of just have to take whatever job is available to them. And I feel like a lot of people during this pandemic are, are seeing that, like where a lot of their work has been taken away from them for whatever reason. And now whatever they were really great at, they no longer can get into a career path in that job field and so they're really having to just accept whatever level of job exists out there. And that availability of work that's going to be out there, it's not going to be great. So it's really forcing people to either be super creative and start their own business 
and navigate an already complicated field when it comes to being an entrepreneur to being creative period and making revenue from your creativity. So getting a lot of people to do like YouTubing, podcasting, um, digital media, like marketing, a lot of different things that they can do from home, which is great. And I think that people that are into those job professions are really looking forward, like thinking ahead of the curve when it comes to uh, automation is really going to be, that's like one of the last things that they're going to be able to take away is, is creative work. So UBI just started to make a lot of sense for me until I started to realize the, the problem with UBI and I saw, who did I see on Joe Rogan's podcast a while ago talk about this, but very smart individual and he essentially brought up the fact that actually I'm, I'm very curious now because this guy actually, I enjoyed what his talking points. Oh, I'm going to switch accounts real quick to my one that I use for everything. As you can see, I'm subscribed to, Oh my God. I'm subscribed to 187 YouTube channels. That's how much YouTube I watch. This is insane. Just as, uh, Actually, uh, right now, it's actually showing the most popular people I've been watching. And so um, you'll see Linus Tech Tips is, is number one right now. I, I like tech tech news, and he uh, he does a lot of techy stuff. Uh, second is The Hill. Uh, the Hill, I talked about it in a podcast. I think if you're going to be getting your news from any source, it should be from The Hill. Um, they're, they're really doing a great job of trying to be as center as they can be with the reporting of the news that they um, that's available out there. Mr. Sunday uh, Movies, great. Um, if you're into movies, they do a lot of funny reviews, and, and I, I just like their, their entertainment. They're from Australia. Philip DeFranco, that's where I get my daily, like, I don't know. Philip DeFranco is, is where I get a lot of my daily news of everything like social media news and and um and like uh uh global and national news but they're 25 minute episodes and so really he only talks about like the four or five highlights from the previous day and he's only monday through thursday which is kind of a drag i wish he did them every single day i do enjoy philip defranco and i think he's doing a, a phenomenal job but um he just doesn't have enough time and he does have like another news organization that he has that I'm not subscribed to. I'm not really into it because I really enjoy how he portrays things and he's just not really involved in that work. CNBC, uh, a lot of financial stuff. Um, I do like finances and I like following financial markets and Dr. Dre. Oh, wow. I said gray a lot. Dr. Dre is the name of the, the dermatologist recently I've been watching to learn how to get rid of my dry skin uh, and how to manage a youthful look. Um, so uh, her, her stuff is really great. Joe Blow videos, again, movie stuff. I've been watching a lot of just like movie reviews uh, recently. This is a video gamer, H. June Shroud, big popular video gamer, H3 podcast, one of my favorite it is so unfortunate that all they do is their podcast, but H3H3 used to be my favorite YouTube channel because they did a lot of parody and memeing stuff 
on their on their channel and they just kind of stopped doing that and focus more on a podcast but their podcast is great it's pretty hilarious unbox therapy more tech stuff marcus brand uh brownlee uh nkbhd a lot of tech stuff vsauce before h3h3 again another um creative avenue that i or not creative actually vsauce's videos are just great if you're ever it's so annoying that he doesn't do them as much as he used to because he he became very big and he blew up on youtube and started focusing a lot of different things he made his own youtube red series which was pretty awesome um called minefield and so he has three seasons of that holy hell but uh his videos are some of the best like where does he i wish i could just start playing some of these but i can't really but i don't know i see i don't know the rules and regulations around that because i see a lot of streamers that just watch whatever people's uh videos and then i guess they pause and commentate and then they they're able to do it and it's very common in twitch so um but since my stuff is distributed everywhere i'm very hesitant to be doing that kind of stuff but vsauce is great honestly if, if you want to get lost in some sciencey stuff and not really sciencey stuff but it's like a mix between philosophical and science but the host is just great i love them a lot legal eagles great saturday night live for comedy and gadget tech 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 veritasium i'm told that i i I look kind of like the guy from the host from Veritasium. I don't really see it, but uh, some people claim I do look like him. I guess maybe a little bit if I had did my hair his way, but um, no. Great stuff. His stuff, Veritasium is really great. He's right up there with Vsauce. David Blaine, awesome. This one right here, though, you got to... A lot of just good stuff. Lemonino or Lemonino, L-E-M-M-I-N-O, Lemino, Lemino. I think it's Lemino. Great YouTube channel that I wish he did a lot more videos. Mr. Beast is I uh, video game, video game stuff. Mr. Beast actually, um, he's been blowing up on YouTube and very immature stuff. And he's really targeting a youthful base. So like you're 18 and under, but I just love watching just how much he gives to people. He takes all of his money that he makes on YouTube and creates like the wildest challenges out there. I mean, just look at some of these, the most recent ones, get this random person, 1 million subscribers. So he made a a random challenge and had five different YouTubers, small YouTubers beyond on uh, like a a challenge and and the winner of the challenge uh, got host their their youtube channel hosted on on mr beast's channel he's got like 43 million followers pretty big and so that was pretty cool would you rather have a lamborghini or a house giving people a house or a lamborghini that's just insane he gave a, a random winner um an island worth eight hundred thousand dollars it's like a three-part series he uh, gives a lot to poor people as well a ton of stuff to poor people and it's just his videos are just all over the place like i said he just targets a lot of uh, like his videos really target that, that demographic of people, but in his videos, he does show to be caring and loving to people and, and the less fortunate. One of my favorite videos he did was he literally went into a save lot and bought out all the food in the store, everything. He bought out the whole store 
And then he took all of that food, all of those resources and everything, and he went to all his local, all like all the local um, shelters and and uh, homeless uh, um, facilities that that really help people that are are struggling food sh- food shelters and all of them, and donated like to five different locations to so, like food banks, donated all of this stuff worth. I mean, easily like. And I was actually surprised to see how expensive everything, like if you ask me, go to your typical save lot. I don't really shop at a save lot, but I, I've heard of them. But um, let's say uh, like if you're from Florida, go to your typical Publix. I don't know. Uh, go to your, if you're here in Nevada, go to your typical Sprouts and or Kroger's. If you, if you live in the Northeast Kroger's, go to your typical Kroger's, right? And you walk in, how much do you think all of the stuff in that store is worth like all of it like throw a number i honestly would have guessed maybe half a million dollars plus if there was no electronics it's just food stuff produce animal and like uh cosmetic stuff all of that stuff i really thought it was going to be like half a million dollars plus when he did it uh this save lot which was a massive save lot by the way it wasn't a small one at the end, I think he spent like $180,000. And I was like, what? So for $180,000, you could buy out an entire grocery store. Like how many people can that feed? That could feed a ton of people. And then it made me just just despise more the, the power that billionaires have, the wealth that these guys are sitting on. And that they don't do anything with it. And and really they just they're draining that wealth from from everyone else. And uh I'm not helping the situation when I use Amazon a lot for all of the conveniences that it offers to me in my area. But man, that Jeff Bezos, I cannot stand that guy. And I'm I'm also more than likely probably never owning a Tesla because I just Elon Musk is just I don't know. Just something about Elon. Uh, I used to, I used to worship that guy. I used to think a lot highly of him, but I, I just, I feel like he's becoming another Jeff Bezos. Like his, his, him and Jeff Bezos are very much alike, but they're just working in different industries. And I, I feel like they're thinking a thousand years ahead, and they're thinking, how do we keep the human civilization, uh, you know, still going, and fuck current generations like we need to we've already xed out of our minds all the people that are currently living at the moment they're useless they're wasteless and we could just we can get rid of them we don't really care about them we're really trying to figure out how to think ahead and to keep the human civilization still going and you know i mean i can empathize with what they're trying to do and and you know making clean energy and um all of these things, and I know that you you have to kind of work towards a, a being a profitable industry to kind of have enough leverage and money and mess and to deliver a message like you know we need to clean the earth, we need to all like do all these things. But man, they are really doing it at the sacrifice of their workers. And I I mean I've heard Elon Musk is like one of the worst CEOs for his employees. Like he is like um, cutthroat. And just looks at the numbers and analytics, and he has like a, a goal and an agenda to, to try to hit, and he just aims for that. And he doesn't—he's ruthless. He doesn't care what it takes to get there. And I mean, that way of of 
of managing a business kind of delivered where we're and this whole started with with <laughs> politics and i'm going to get to my political point in just a second but um you know elon got to a certain area in life because of this ruthlessness but i think he should just like scale it back a little bit but he hasn't he's like going forward at a million miles an hour and i i do when that guy passes away it's going to impact all of his companies so hard they're all probably going to go bankrupt to be honest i would love to see what tesla would do if elon Musk passed away tomorrow and i mean that company would all of you that are investing into tesla you're really just gambling the dice and just um because that company is not that profitable it's not worth its market capitalization that's for damn sure but on the other hand amazon is because they have figured out a way to completely destroy commerce and and destroy all aspects of of e-commerce as well because like i mean if you're trying to make your own website and and sell a product and I, i've talked about this in a previous podcast as well i i just man that the level of power that that ceo has is just unbelievable but yeah you know, it just when you think about just how many grocery stores exist out there and, and like the average value, even if it was like $300,000 to buy an average grocery store, that grocery store has enough food to, to like feed an area of a city for at least like a week, two weeks, a month. So you can easily feed a city worth of people probably with, you know, five to $6 million a month. Um, you know, that sounds like a lot. $72 million a year sounds like a lot. But when you're a billionaire, that's absolutely nothing. That's like a that's 7% of your net worth. And you're making easily 7%. Um, I, I don't know. It's just when you when you have $200 billion like Jeff Bezos, it's not even that's not even 7% of his net worth. That's like 0.04% of his net worth. It's like, it's nothing to him. And so, I don't know. Like, when you think of that level of, of wealth that these people have at the very, 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 very top, it's like, why do you need all that? You don't need that money. There's no, you could buy businesses with that much money. You could buy massive businesses with tons of employees and still have money left over. I mean, it's just insane. Anyways, so but the the so UBI seemed like something that made sense for a lot of people that were going to be losing their jobs because of these eccentric billionaires that are just really trying to eradicate jobs left and right. But the problem with UBI is that there's no threshold because just like everything else it needs to follow follow the consumer index and it's not going to fulfill a big need for a lot of people. And so the problem is that society, once it gets something demands more of it, especially when it's free money, like UBI is or universal basic income. And so what this guy, Oh, that's what I was going to look up. Um, Joe Rogan. I don't know if I'm going to find it. This guy was from, Oh, I did. Nave Naval Ravenkant. Wow. Thank you, YouTube, for showing me the most recent people I watched on Joe Rogan. Um, yeah, Naval Ravenkant, this guy right here, um, smart guy. I, I really saw eye to eye to a lot of things that he brought up in in his um, 
and the podcast with Joe Rogan. And one of the things that he brought up was like, you know, I don't agree with UBI. And the reason why I don't agree with UBI is because, you know, once you start giving people money and I didn't really ever think about that. I never thought about like the fact that if you offer to people free money, they're probably going to want more in the future, especially when like, let's say a COVID-19 epidemic happens, you're going to, you're going to give people a ton of money and it's going to be hard to, to take that back. Cause as you could see with the unemployment situation that we're in at the moment, and it's well-deserving because I mean, it's better than having people living on the streets and not generating any wealth for society. But you can see what happened when you gave people $600 and then you take it away from them and how much they depended on that money while they weren't working. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know if I agree with UBI so much. I agreed with what he was talking about as a solution. He was like, I don't agree with UBI. What I think should happen is that every four years or X amount of years, if you want to change career paths, you're allowed one full year where you can stop working, make money, and as long as you can prove that you were training or or getting an education to um, retrain yourself for a new job profession like computer science, like computer programming, marketing, digital marketing, all of these things. Because he said that um, it's hard to predict what jobs are – like, yes, Amazon's eliminating a lot of jobs, but it's also – um, it's hard to understand what other jobs can be created from from the elimination of jobs. And I've kind of, it's difficult to, to so I, I just gave so much shit to, to Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, but if it wasn't for people eradicating jobs that people have become so, so customary to do throughout their lives and throughout multiple generations, like uh, manufacturing, things of that nature, we wouldn't see people get doing making money in, in the craziest ways, like being a gamer, being a TikToker, being a YouTuber, being a podcaster, like, and, and uh, I'm thinking of creative things, but again, like 10 years ago, if you would have asked someone like, Hey, you're going to be worth a million dollars just doing a podcast. People would be like, yeah, okay, whatever crazy person. Um, or you're going to be worth a million dollars just making silly videos on the social media app. It's like, yeah, okay. And people are doing that, and they're able to do that. Now, the amount of people that could successfully do that is a small number, but it is jobs that that are being created by the by an elimination of other jobs. But, anyways, this guy was saying that as generations, like as time goes forward, and we see new industries start because advancements in science, technology, the needs of 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 your your immediate environment. Uh, whatever it is, you know, people should be should have the ability to change the career path that they're in and take a full year to kind of just focus on that. And I kind of agree with him. I think giving people free money isn't the answer. And I don't I didn't ever think it was unless they were incapable of, of ever earning money, either through a physical disability or a mental disability. But if you're not incapable because of those two things, I think the the wealth that you get should be generated by the means that you do. The problem is, is that for a lot of people, they're not getting paid for the amount of work that they do. And that's another conversation as well. It's like, how do you tackle that? And how do you accurately value a, a person's time? I mean, there are different ways, I guess you could do that. And that is like, look at a company's profits, determine the amount of employees that it has, uh, determine a, an appropriate number to give to shareholders every year let's say 10% of the profits 
and then the rest gets distributed to the employees, I think it would be a fair a, a, a fair way of doing things. Or or even a 50-50. I, I, I don't see why that can't be done. Like if a company is profitable, right, and they're generating a ton of money, why not take 50% of that money, give it to the shareholders? Here you go. You made a ton of money. Here's your dividends. Enjoy it. Um, but just understand that your our profits could not have existed without the work of all of these fantastic employees. So we're going to give them the other 50%. Like, I don't see why that can't be done. Um, because those shareholders would never maximize their worth if it, and I am simplifying it a little bit. And I guess you'd have to weigh out, like, could these employees have had their jobs in the first place if it wasn't for the investments from the shareholders and how much of the total prize pool should everyone get? What if the company isn't even profitable and it's negative? A lot of companies start off being negative and they survive off of investor money. And so should investors really have to split the money initially when that company couldn't even have existed and probably would have been belly up if it wasn't for the investors? That's a difficult uh, argument to, have, to, to be had. And again, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird circle because those employees wouldn't or those shareholders wouldn't be in a position where they would have a ton of worth if it wasn't for having all of these employees working really hard and, and doing a good representative work for that company. Um, but there has to be a formula around that. There has to be a way to calculate that. I don't understand why you couldn't calculate something like that, but um, anyways, I, I did like his idea though to go ahead and uh, Naval Ravenkant's idea of just instead of giving people UBI, to instead give them um, like the ability to just take a year off to, to retrain themselves to go into a different job profession. I, I like that idea a lot, actually. I've done that personally, um, but I wasn't paid for my time to retrain myself. I kind of just jumped into a new career path and just learned in, inside the company. But I kind of had to just take whatever level of pay the company was offering me for not being really an expert in that field, but just hiring me because they liked me as a representative. And then I had to work my way up to the pay I wanted to, to have. Uh, I think it would be a lot better if I could have just taken a year off and just focused on learning everything about that industry and then jumping into it after the fact. The problem with that argument too, though, is that a lot of people take education thinking that they want to get a job in that job profession. And then when you get involved in, in understanding the ins and outs and, and, the, the way the industry works and how competitive it is. I don't think a year, I don't think you can get all that in a year. I think it takes a lot of time. Like getting into, like just learning a job is great, but you also need to learn how to market yourself. And I guess if there were courses in there that taught people just how to like be more marketable and, and how to, to, to put yourself in front of the right people and how to have good conversational skills, I think that needs to be taught to everyone. And I mean, honestly, I don't even know at that point if everyone knew that skill set, how anyone could be competitive with any other person outside of just how good they are at their job. But uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that just don't know how to communicate. But anyways, so there are like things that I agree with from the conservative party, but then I, that I don't. And there are things that I kind of agree from the Democratic Party, but I don't either. And I really hate the two-party system. I, th I feel like the two-party system, 
I mean, has existed. Let's just look it up. How long has the two party system existed? Um, <laughs> pretty much the entire time. Um, so it says right here, well, Wikipedia and I trust Wikipedia. You should too. Wikipedia says that the, uh, the current political system, the way it exists, like the Democratic and Republican Party, that system, two-party system, has existed since 1852. And they have controlled the United States Congress to some extent since 1856. That is just insane to think about. And I've traveled around the world, and the rest of the world honestly doesn't do it like we do. They do it in a very, I mean, even our neighbors like uh, Mexico and Canada, they don't do it like the, we do. They have tons of different parties and the way the representatives are, are distributed is based off the total percentage of people that voted for that specific political party. And then they take all the top favored representatives in that party, starting from the top. Let's say this person got a majority of the votes and then they go all the way down and then they allot that party's total votes Tour, and then they elect that many representatives from each party. I really think that that idea is um, a really great idea, and I think it's a it's a better way of representing or representing representing the the immense differences in views in America. And I think the two party system obviously clearly doesn't want that, and they've done a really good job of figuring out how to eliminate the idea of thinking of outside of a two party system. And they were really quashing that idea. Like the Tea Party, I think, was the, the most recent one that I could think of that was really trying to separate itself and become like this third-party system. But then they kind of got absorbed by the Republican Party. And they were like, oh, yeah, your ideas are great. Let's just absorb you into the Republican Party. And it's like, no, they should have stayed as their own third party. They probably would have made a, a big change. But uh, these parties are are very smart. They know that like the Democrats are doing that right now with the progressives. Like they're kind of absorbing the progressives and, and being like, yeah, like don't be just progressive. Like, you know, like we're like part of your party as well. And we're going to start fighting for your ideas too. Like your universal basic income or like your UBIs and your Medicare for all. We're going to, you know, we're going to start looking into that. We're going to implement that. So just like don't separate from our party. And it sucks because like the Republicans – they have the libertarians. They have like a lot of different branches within the Repo- Republican Party, but they're like branched up into like one party, and they all have to like all vote the same way. And the same thing with the Democrats. Like you have like the progressives, you have the like just all these different levels of Democrats, and um, it just sucks that these two parties are so smart. And I think what they're doing now is that they're creating uh, with the news and with um, social media, they're trying to create this polarization of ideas where. It's like you're for this or against it. You're for this or against it. And because you're doing that, you're really separating this idea of a moderate perspective where it's like, yeah, I can see that way of it. And then I can see the other way of doing it. But maybe there's a better way in the middle. Like, why can't we just agree to something that kind of incorporates both parties? They're 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 not wanting to do that because they know that if enough people do that, they're going to start their own political party. And that might become a strong third party. And uh, it was funny. I was watching The Hill today and the military, um, they were doing a, a poll of who the people, who the military, like the, the soldiers within the military and the officers 
who they would be more likely to vote for Biden or Trump. And it was funny to see like with uh, like Biden was like at 44%. I think Trump was at like 37%. And then it was funny to see that some of the members of the military, actually almost a fifth of them, 17% of them said that they would vote for a third party. And I actually, I would be with them as well. I really hate this idea of trying to put us into like one category of ideology I really would love a political party that just kind of comes in and their their agenda, their ideas, just to sit there, listen to their constitu- uh, constituents in their area and be like, okay, I, I hear you out. I hear you out. This is the economics of the city. This is the people that are struggling. Like, let's try to figure out a system where we can kind of help everyone without shitting on one side or the other. And I think a lot of people would vote for that party more so than anyone else. I feel like a majority of America is moderate in some degree where they're just like, you know, like I kind of see eye to eye, eye, to eye with this party, but I don't agree with everything they do. And, and, but you feel forced to have to be a Republican because if not, then you don't really have a party that you can really say is your party. And when you lose identity like that, a lot of people just don't enjoy a lack of identity. And so, um, it's it's just it's easier for them to kind of just default to a political party, but then when you do that, you succumb to having to agree with every decision that that party does. And I've seen a lot of friends do this. Like I've, um, I don't agree with the current president and and a lot of his uh, ways of of doing things. Um, I I do agree with some of the things that the Republican Party is doing. But I think the president is a horrible representative of an executive leader. And I don't think he he represents fundamentally what it means to be president. And I, I really think a president needs to be someone that's a leader and, and it's a unifier. And, and more so than anyone else needs to be the type of person that speaks for America and not for a party. Of course, presidents have their political parties. But if you look at some of the best presidents America's ever had, they didn't just say like, "Hey, I'm only representing my 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 constituents." No, I'm representing America. Like America's running through a, a difficult time right now, and and just the way he keeps just narrating like the attack after attack of uh, uh, an attack on the Democratic Party. And again, I'm I'm not for the Democrats at all. Like it might sound like I am, but I really am not. Like I don't like that party. I don't like Biden. I don't like him as as the the per, the people the the person that that everyone's willing to die on. Like that's the hill that everyone's going to die on. It's Biden for for the guy that's going to be taking down Trump. It's like it's so stupid, honestly. It just shows you how pathetic the two party system is, and everyone's in this in this point. And it, it was the same thing in 2016 as well. I knew a lot of Republicans at the time that were like. Man, we don't want to vote for Trump, but we definitely don't want to vote for Hillary. So we're voting for the less of the two evils. And it's like the same conversation again for 2020. We're voting for the less of the two evils. And it's like, fuck that system, dude. Like, get it. Let's get away from this. Like, um, and, and it sucks because the narrative from both parties is like, well, if you vote for someone from the third party, and by the way, there's no one in, in the third party system that is anywhere remotely being a good representative for president either. They're really cuckoo and some of their ideas 
And uh, it just sucks that a lot of the people that kind of always like run during uh, the election period as a third party candidate, they're always really shitty. Uh, I think America really needs a strong third party member with social media being as strong as of a platform as it is. I don't really think you need to debate anymore. I don't think if, if because there's like this uh, monopoly on the party system, like if you're not part like if you're not the nominee for the democratic party and if you're not the nominee for the republican party you're not getting a platform to debate and no matter how many people in america like you but i think that conversation would change pretty dramatically if you became the type of person that kind of campaigned very early on very very early on like maybe 2020 you start 2020 you have to work really hard because you're trying to go against the 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 political system the way it's existed for the last Holy shit, almost 200 years, 170 years now, it's existed like this. And so to really go against a system that's been disestablished for this long, you're really going to have to hustle and work hard to kind of get this idea going. But I would I would love to uh, be a part of that 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 movement. This like idea where it's like, okay, let's let's get down to the city, the county, the state, what are the struggles in this area? Let's let, let me let me hear them, and 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 try to just kind of listen to the community, and and not listen and and be really good about when people are attacking the other and blaming the other party, like blame the Republicans, blame the Democrats. Like, listen, let's not get into this perspective where we're going to attack parties. Let's attack the i the systems that are causing these issues for you. And who's managing the systems? Let's not attack the parties because you're giving too much control to these parties. Even by you just attacking them, you're giving them that much power. We need to take the power away from them. We need to stop talking about them. We need to. That's why I don't even name the president anymore. I don't. I don't agree with anything he does, and I know he loves hearing his name all the time. But I just I haven't referred to him by his name in like the last two years, and. Uh, again, because I don't respect him as a president. It, I, he was a, a great business person. He's a great marketer. He knows how to um, get people to hear him out and how to, to get people to come out and, and, and listen to him. And I think he's phenomenal at that. I think he's got a really great skill set at that. Probably some of the best compared to any other president in the history of America. But he functionally is not suitable for the position of president. I also don't think Biden is as well. I think once Biden gets in, I think it's going to be very strong for a lot of people, the the Republicans and and a, a branch of Democrats to really kind of separate from their parties. And I think uh, I'm hoping for, uh, I'm hoping for a Trump loss because that's going to really fundamentally change the Republican Party, and it's also going to force the Democratic Party to change as well. Because when the progressives see that Biden isn't doing anything on their agenda. They're going to separate as well. And I hope that it's a big chunk from both parties. And I hope that's enough of a narrative and conversation that we, the Republican and Democratic Party kind of crumble from that. And then we have all these micro parties that are involved. That would be my hope and dream. I don't think that's going to happen. If if Trump wins, then the Democratic Party for sure is going to change fundamentally. And that party will deteriorate and... Uh, I don't think the Republican Party really wants to to be the party no, like that follows in the footsteps of this president because in the end, 
this will be his last term. And then who is going to be their next nominee? This next nominee is going to have to be someone just as extreme as Trump is. Uh, damn it, I just said his name. Um, but yeah, they're going to be uh, they're going to have to be as extreme as this president is. And uh, again, I think I think the narrative that our president fought on was a great narrative to the, the, the idea to drain the swamp. There was a lot of things that I didn't agree with, with the, the uh, minimizing of 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 foreigners. I, I don't agree with that. Me being from a Hispanic um, nationality. You know, my family came here legally, but a lot of people I can understand when you're a beacon of hope and you just you you demonstrate yourself that way um, in America, like in the world. And you're like telling people like this is the greatest country ever. Why the fuck would you think otherwise that people aren't trying to come to our country? And then a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is to come into this country legally. I had to go. I had to go through that. Not personally, like like me. Because I was born in in Florida, but my wife, my wife, who I married, legally was entitled to get her green card. That whole system we had to go through. Not only was it super expensive, it cost me a ton of money. We tried to do it ourselves, and the the cost to to send in the paperwork, get the fingerprinting, and everything of that nature, prove that we were legitimate. You know, and I I understand like if you need to look at our history understand that we're legitimately being married because obviously you can see shows like 90 days, the 90 day series on, on TMZ or whatever, or not TMZ, but whatever, uh, AMC, um, where it's like 90 day fiance. Like you could definitely see like that's borderline illegal. I feel like that should not be allowed. But anyways, um, like if you want to investigate us, by all means do that. I understand. Like if you don't want to give my wife a green card until you thoroughly do a, a research for us. That's great. But the cost associated with it is insane. If you do it yourself, the average cost is like, uh, just to send in the applications and everything. It's like two grand, not including all of like the, the like information that you need to send to them and all the work that you need to do. That's a lot of money, uh, for, for some people like sending, all, like, I mean, ask the average family, if they can cough up two grand to allow their, you know, their sister or brother to, to, enroll to for the possibility of getting their green card because that that's just applying after the application then comes all the investigative work and everything of that nature and um we we did it legitimately we paid all the fees and everything and even then doing everything the right way you should have seen the envelope that we sent in we sent in a stat i've never sent out this much paper by mail like literally we sent Tons of photos, tons of documentation, tons of bank statements, tons of like supporting information. We made sure to fill out all the documentation. Me and my wife reread the paperwork at least a million times before we sent it in because we knew that this was very important. Reread, 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 reread everything. And then in the end, the the system is so ass backwards. They were trying to claim, so you can't just call into the USCIS. That's the organization that manages immigration. And you can't call into them and be like, hey, like, where am I at in the process? They can't, all, all the representative will tell you is like, you'll be receiving something in the mail telling you exactly where you're at in the process. Like, if you haven't received it yet, we'll attempt to remail you something. And for whatever reason, 
me and my wife were getting all of the mail when it was like coming to like fingerprinting me and her getting fingerprinted and getting our photos taken and having to like schedule appointments at the the local USCIS office here in Las Vegas. We were getting all of those those um those letters from from the organization. But they they claimed that there was something uh, uh an issue with our case. And they were requesting, like, we didn't know, but they were telling us that, like, hey, you're going to be receiving a letter in the mail letting you know exactly what we're missing from you, and you need to send that to us ASAP. You have 90 days to send this back to us. If not, you have, you, your application is null and void, and, and you have to reapply. And we were like, okay, great. And we waited, like, two weeks, nothing. Call them. Okay, we'll, we'll resend the correspondence. Waited another two weeks, nothing. Called. Nothing. And so we were getting all the other pieces of mail, but this letter that they cl- they kept claiming that they were sending to us, and they couldn't tell us over the phone. We wanted to, we were asking them a million times, hey, can you just tell us what you guys are missing so we can send it to you? Sorry, unfortunately, we can't tell you that information. We're going to have to send it to you. And this was super stressful. Like, imagine spending $2,000 for an application and then not being able to get on the phone and and figuring out exactly i mean i can I, I understand what it's like with people with unemployment right now that's probably what they're coping with at the moment they can't get a hold of someone they can't get the answers for why they they are their application for unemployment is not going through it's the same thing with with immigration and so and this is supposed to be something that you're supposed to be able to do on your own and then it it finally made sense i had a friend um his uh, fiance, who's now his wife, was from Sweden, and they came, and he didn't even want to deal with any of that, so he went and got a lawyer first thing. And I reached out to Brian, and I was asking him, like, "Hey, did you run into any of this like difficulty?" And he was like, "Honestly, I don't know, man. My lawyer's like handling the whole thing." And it started to make sense to me why people need to get an, an immigration attorney to to do this kind of stuff because it's it as backwards. I actually should get my immigration attorney. So anyways, fast forward, we had to get an attorney. The three months passed. We got a letter in the mail claiming that her application was, was um, invalid and that we were going to have to do everything all over again. And the idea of having to cough up another $2,000 and go through that shitty process all over again, not knowing exactly what we missed. Again, we sent us, I'm, I'm not lying when I tell you the envelope that we sent in was this thick and it was just sheets of paper there was no folders there was no nothing it was just sheets of paper in there applications and supporting evidence and a ton of it and we know they received all of it because i mean they they told us that they had received it but they wouldn't tell us what we were missing in this stack of information again rereading everything that we needed to submit to them and so ultimately in the end um, when we got this notification, it was like a blow to both me and my wife, especially my wife, because you have an X amount of window that you can apply for a green card status if you're here in this country. And if uh, you don't get that, you could potentially get deported, even if we're married and have to get. And then if she does, then we have to go through the process in her home country of Colombia. So I would have had to go to Colombia go to the local embassy and have and we'd have to go through this entire process at the embassy before she would be issued a green card to be able to come back to the states. And so um that was stressing us out. We were like, "Well, holy shit, now they know about all of this. Are they just going to come in and kick us out or kick her out and then I have to go follow her and 
And I was like, fuck this, dude. I'm going to cough up money for an attorney. We found the best immigration attorney in Las Vegas. You know, we coughed, coughed up uh, uh, money for that. And it, ultimately, all of this ended up costing us like $35,000, like $3,500, I think it was total, that we end up spending. $3,500 fucking dollars. Like, tell me. the like. And then when you talk about like the... Let me let me put it in perspective. In Colombia, um, I'll show you right now. In Colombia, because I uh, actually lived out there for a couple years, I know what it's like in Colombia. And Colombia is actually one of the more wealthier Latin American countries in the Western Hemisphere. I would say it's Mexico, Brazil. Brazil is not even Latin, but uh, they they speak Portuguese. But we'll say Mexico, Brazil. I think it's Ecuador, and then Colombia. It, it might be it might be Colombia then Ecuador. Colombia's either third or fourth place in and the like the wealthiest Latin American countries, right? Uh, so we're talking about from Central to South America. Um right now, by the way, the, the right now the US dollar is so strong globally, by the way. So if you're looking to travel and you don't care about COVID-19, and you do you, I could definitely understand why you would want to travel because your dollar's worth a shit ton. Like when I lived in Colombia, the I don't know if you could see it here. Will it show? Yes. So when I went to Colombia was in 2012. As you can see, the US, um, fuck me, that's so long ago. Sorry, I think it was 2013 actually, sorry. Um, the... Colombian peso was so for every US dollar, it was 1,850 Colombian pesos. So one, one US dollar was 1,850 Colombian pesos, right? And then, I mean, just you could tell just over the years, it's gone up. That doesn't mean that there was an economic crisis in Colombia. No, there, there hasn't been really, honestly. Colombia, if anything, is doing uh, really well for itself. But the thing is, is that the US dollar has just become a strong currency globally. And because of that, its value globally is worth more than than other countries as well. It's just because we've had a huge economic growth here in this in this country. But I'm surprised to see that the U.S. dollar is still strong, considering how impacted by COVID nineteen we've been. And I guess you could kind of see in the last year, you could see that drop a little bit because I mean, let's look at when COVID started. No, actually. COVID made the, the Colombian peso skyrocket for a little bit, but I think that's just because Colombia was also struggling as well. And so the whole world's struggling with, with COVID, but right now the U.S. dollar is one U.S. dollar to 3,700 Colombian pesos. So essentially, my dollar was like was doubled in value in, in eight years or seven years since I lived there. That's one of the reasons why I came here because when I came out here, the U.S. dollar was starting to go from like eighteen hundred. Let me see, uh, it's been five years since since I lived here in Las Vegas. So um, I think, well, let's say uh, March of twenty was it twenty fifteen when we moved here? I think it was. It was March of twenty fifteen. So and and I could see the trend. So I started to notice this trend where. The U.S. dollar started to get strong, and you can see that in 2015, uh, when, we, when exactly when we moved, it the the dollar was becoming a, a lot stronger. So, um, my value out there in Colombia was getting very diminished, and 
Let me put it this way. The average Colombian minimum uh, minimum wage right now in Colombia is um what is it? Is it 2 million pesos right now? So it's I think it, it it's it goes up every year. Let me look it up. Minimum wage in Colombia. Minimum wage in uh 2020 fuck. Dude, it's not even a million fucking pesos. That's fucking depressing. Um, or wait, one second. Columbus government has raised the minimum wage for 2020 by 6%. So let's just say it's a million. Pe- look, look here to here to here, here, here. Sorry. Okay. Um, let me just read this paragraph for you for the people uh, like audio listening to this for everyone else that's watching the video. You could just see it for yourself, but for audio people, I looked up minimum wage in Colombia. Get this. Colombia's new minimum wage for 2020 rises 6%. To 877,000 pesos. Colombia's government has raised the minimum wage for 2020 by 6% to 980,000 Colombian pesos, approximately $300. And that's actually probably wrong. If we look right now, um, let's say a million pesos, COP to USD. The minimum wage in Colombia, a minimum wage for a month, a month, a month, a month, a month is 270 US dollars. I paid $3,500 for my wife to legally get her green card here in this country. So that means theoretically my wife, she wasn't making minimum wage, but she was making about double minimum wage. So she was making about 2 million Colombian pesos. Even that, like... It would have taken my wife to save up with not paying any bills if she was just making flat that money, not not grocery shopping, not paying rent, not doing anything. It would take my wife still half a year to be able to save up enough money to, to be able to finance her own green card status. That's insane. A lot of people just and, – and again, like when you talk about the cost of living, the cost of living in Colombia is not cheap either. Cost of, of living in – uh, Bogota. So, uh, here's a, a, a perfect example. <laughs> this is so. That's why a lot of people in Colombia, for instance, they they don't live by themselves. They live with their family members majority of the time because it's it's super costly. So, cost of living in Bogota, the capital of Colombia, right? It's not cheap for the average Colombian. So, um, currency Colombia is Colombian pesos. Blah blah blah. blah. Expensive city to live in. Uh, okay, so Bogota is a moderately expensive. So I'm reading from this checkinprice.com, which sounds like a, a reliable source because it, I mean I'm reading what they've put down here and, and and it all looks. Let me just read this real quick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This this definitely. Definitely a good source. Anyways, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read this paragraph from uh, checkinprice.com um, for the cost of living in Bogota, Colombia. Many big businesses, both national and international, are located in Bogota, so the capital of Colombia. So it's like where most people would go to make money. Spanish is the official language spoken throughout the city, but with its international relations, there are many opportunities for other languages to be spoken as well. Very true. Bogota is moderately expen- is a moderately expensive city to live in. 
with the average monthly cost for a single person being about 500 US dollars. And that's about right, to be honest. Um, I, I, when I was, uh, I did English teaching for a little bit part-time just to kind of make extra money on the side to blow it on stupid random stuff. So I didn't have to go through completely all of my savings, but, uh, I would, I would play a lot of poker and, and drink and party and, and stupid stuff. But anyways, um, I made, uh, I think, uh, 3 million Colombian pesos a month out there doing part-time teaching, which is, uh, you know, it's good. Uh, that's good money in Colombia, to be honest. Like, for an individual, it's not great, but it's good money. It's uh, I mean, for my age at the time, it was good money, but uh, I was an American, and that amount of money per month is definitely a lot less than what you're making. So, 3 million Colombian pesos for people listening, by the way, is like $812. Um, so, I could, I could live comfortably... Um, on that pay rate. And, and I did, and I even had a roommate. I was rooming with the, the owner of the company I worked for. And so I, I definitely had extra money to, to spend when compared to America, Bogota is very affordable and, and it's very true. The most substantial portion of your monthly budget will go towards rent and rent is expensive for Bogota. Just to put it in perspective, let's say, um, so in Colombia, I wish America did this as well, but in Colombia, they have this system called estratas, and estratas are zones. And depending on um, zones in Bogota, estrata, sorry, um, there's six estrata uh, systems. And the way they, they do it, they, they break up the cities in, in these countries into like uh, zones. And each zone is valued based off of the, the, the net worth of the people living there. And so number one is very poor. Number six is the highest. And so if you make a ton of money, you live in, in zone six. If you are very poor, you live in zone one. And what happens is that the system is, is that people that live in zone six pay more in taxes than the people that pay, live in zone one. And they... Uh, the utility costs and rent and everything of that nature is subsidized and the people that live in the lower systems and everyone that lives in a higher system pays more to subsidize these lower income areas. And I, I, I enjoy the idea and I think the idea is great, but it it's put in place to kind of uh, offset the, the, the class systems that exist there. But I don't think they do a good enough job about that because just because they have a, a poor, like poor cost of living, um, they're also not making a ton of money, so they still remain poor. The uh, the cost isn't subsidized enough that it really offsets them to get them up to a higher uh, strata area. So, anyways, um, but let's just say in strata five, right? Uh, strata five or uh three. Sorry, three is like the average. I would say, uh, and like strata three is not nice of an area, but let's say. Let's just look up rent. Um, the average rent in this area. One to six, your budget to live. I'm not looking up here. Uh, my Spanish is really bad, by the way. Anyone that's Spanish, and, and I can clearly not spell in, in Spanish. 
Um, you know, you don't want to type this stuff, these Google searches in English, by the way, because when you do, uh, all of this is in Spanish, by the way, you're not going to be able, I can at least read it. Um, you're not going to want to type in English because it's, they overinflate the cost because if you're, they realize you're an expat. If you're an expat, they know you, you have a lot more money, obviously, because you're not making Colombian pesos, you're making dollars or British pound or whatever. And so they're they're going to charge you a lot more for the cost of living. So sometimes it's beneficial to um, to hide your IP address when you Google search. Like this is probably going to be inflated as well because I'm searching in America and I can see that. And it's also good to search in the language that's a local to that, that region as well because if you don't, you're going to be seeing fees that are, are, are very high. So anyways, I'm looking up rent right now in Bogota. And um, I wonder if you can separate it by stratas. Let me see here. Strato. So let's do um, three, two, and one. Okay, let's apply the filter. And so let's look at this one. This is... This is Estrato 3. And, you know, it's, it's a very small place. It's 50 square meters because we're the only country that does everything in in um, non-metric system. Uh, let's do 50 square meters to feet is uh, 538 square feet. So it's a, a studio, essentially. It's a studio. Um, how many bedrooms are in here? Does it say? It doesn't say. But this is the average. I would probably say this is probably the average rent for someone living in this in this area. 900,000 Colombian pesos. So it's about what someone makes minimum wage. So you have to um, you have to live with someone else to pay for a studio. And I mean, the average Colombian can't afford that. And look at these some of these prices like this is. Here's one that's 500,000 pesos, but this is in, in zone two. And zone two is, you're starting to think about like your safety at that point. Like if, especially if you're not from Colombia, these are some dangerous areas. You don't want to live as, oh yeah, the South, the South of Bogota, that uh, be careful. I mean, honestly, that's, and that's a, a somehow that's a three, uh, these, these are the amount of uh, bedrooms. That was a three bedroom. And, and uh, like as a, 500 square foot place so your bedrooms are super small and again that was so as you can see the cost of living is pretty expensive in colombia even if you're making barely any money and that's not including utilities that's not including anything that's just rent and so this is why people have to live with their families and things of that nature now look at how expensive it is if you're um now talking like the rich areas so let's look at four five and six ready for this (laughs) <laughs> okay let's do uh the cheapest to the most expensive that's not true this isn't true this is this is like renting a room i guess i don't even know what this is let's go to the more realistic one so, so we got uh one bedroom in the north which is actually really nice um that is 12 square meters so when you're looking at the photo essentially it's just a bathroom it looks like you're living in someone's I, I can't laugh at this. It's sad. But um it's like living in, in uh a closet pretty much for 
500,000 Colombian pesos, which is about almost a majority of your minimum wage if you're making minimum wage in Colombia. So you're not living in these areas. Uh, Two bedroom. uh, This is Zona Estrata 5. Um, It's not too bad, but again, you're paying 650,000 Colombian pesos and and the, the property inside doesn't really look the best, as you could tell from the photos. Um, it's just in a nicer area. So if anything, you're going to be paying a cost for that. And this is a Rosales is a pretty nice area, like a nice little looking little area, little, little nice apartment. It's iffy. It's not the five. Like, but when you're talking about like American level of, of, of quality, this is when you're going to have to start looking at the, the big, the big prices and look at some of these prices. (laughs) Oh my god, dude! This is rent. By the way, this is rent. This is not buying. This is rent. So let's look at this bad boy. I mean, this is beautiful for Colombia standards, but it's still, uh, it's not that big. I mean, it's, it's pretty big. Let's see, two hundred square meters. Actually, two hundred seventy square meters. That's pretty big, actually. That's three thousand square feet. Yeah, that's pretty massive, actually. But uh, three thousand square feet, you're looking at thirteen million. So this is divide that by four, pretty much. This is three thousand dollars a month in rent. That's not bad. I mean, that's what you're paying in America. But again, in Colombia, I mean, like if you're paying that, how are you gonna afford that? Unless you're making a good amount of money. This one's more realistic. It's about a thousand dollars American dollars. Like if you're an American, if you wanna, if you're making a thousand bucks a month right now, you can live in something like this. It's not really nice. It's in a strata five. Um, this site it's not showing. Anyways, if if you make American money and you want to go to a different country, definitely the smart thing to do for sure to like go to a country like Colombia. But anyways, what the whole point of this is like to go over the fact of just how ass backwards it's the the real the expectation to think that these people could just afford to come and 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 apply for a green card status and and be able to do it like. It's very expensive. Again, a majority of their money is gone. Like it's imagine living paycheck to paycheck in America. It's the same fucking issues in a different country. It's just their money is worth a lot less, but their money is worth enough to get them the same kind of means as as it is to be an American. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they're going to be paying uh, a, a stupid amount of money to. Uh, to, to just live, to be able to eat and live and everything of that nature. And so most people, the most, like the young people that I hung out with when I was living in Columbia, the idea that any of them would have any more than 200, 300,000 pesos extra to spend on whatever they wanted to do a month was pretty crazy. Unless they were part of like a rich family and then like the rich family gave them whatever they wanted. But like if you were just like an average person, the idea that you were going to have an extra 200,000 pesos to to have to yourself was pretty crazy. But even then, I mean like <laughs> 200,000 Colombian pesos is $54. How many fucking months would it take you to save up to be able to pay for uh, a green card when – um Let's see the total total cost for marriage. Uh, green card. 
States. $1,700. I think it went up a little bit. I think we paid $1,500 when we did it. $1,700. How the fuck is someone going to pay $1,700? And so the idea is like, well, we should only be allowing rich people to come into this country. Like, I mean, these people are pretty well educated. It's just that the... And when I say pretty well educated, I'm, I'm talking about very well educated. They at least speak two languages. Um, and the the idea that, you know, you're in a system, you could be a very smart person, but be in a system where it's just, it's very uh, social cl- uh, class system. It really is. It's not like America. It's, I mean, America is becoming kind of like the system as well, where like the ultra rich are at the top and then the poor, and there's really no middle class. Colombia is kind of slowly developing a middle class, and I feel like America is slowly losing its middle class. So America and Colombia are no different, honestly. And these people that are are just very smart, but exist in a system that uh, has impacted them in such a way that they are forced to take these shitty jobs that they're in right now. You're, I mean, you can empathize with someone else that's in that same position in a different country, but then we have this different level of standard of idea to think like that type of person needs to jump through a million hurdles just to become a legal citizen. We had to go through that. And again, we did it all legitimately the right way and ultimately had to get an attorney and had to pay double this cost to, um, to get my wife a green card. And and that attorney, by the way, was phenomenal. Uh, Darren, you made a huge difference in our lives and really brought such a peace of mind. I need to have him on as a guest so he could talk about this stuff. I need to reach out to him. Um, he's just a great attorney and we actually don't see eye to eye a lot on political stuff too. So it'd be great to have him on because he is a staunch, staunch, uh, Republican. Um, and I'm not, and I know he probably thinks that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a liberal, uh, liberal guy, but it's funny when we talk about politics because he's like representing me as my lawyer, but we, uh, we have such a great relationship that, uh, we, we enjoy, uh, so many different things like soccer are one of the things and we just like uh, enjoy just talking. But man, when we get into politics, it's, it was always funny going into our meetings because half the like a third of the meeting would just be like, oh, like this is your current situation. Don't worry. Everything's fine. I'm taking care of everything. And then two thirds was, hey, what are your thoughts on on so and so? Or what are your thoughts on this like political idea? And I would be like, well, you know, I don't really agree with that. Oh, really? Why? Why? And it was just always funny. And then my poor wife's having to sit there listen to both me are listening to her husband and and our attorney just go back and forth on on political viewpoints but he would be really great to have on but he really made a huge difference but it just uh, just beginning uh, you know into this country legally is so expensive so this idea to expect that everyone around the world and again colombia is probably up there with making money uh let's i wonder if you could break it down uh minimum wage uh in or rankings rankings by latin countries latin america hit me with all the fun facts google i love google google's so great you can find all the answers on here um this is 2018 but this will kind of give you an idea look how look how close i was boom Let's see. Uh, so Argentina, 
Argentina was the close 2017 with the second highest inflation in Latin America after Venezuela. However, ranked as the highest monthly basic salary in the entire region. Interesting. And this nation, a worker will earn 544. So Argentina is number one. Chile, two. Uruguay, Ecuador, and Panama. Then Brazil, then Colombia. Um, so I was off, I guess, when it came to minimum wage. But I still think wealth by country. I don't think it's in this order as well. The wealthiest or uh, GDP of Latin America countries, Latin American countries. Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, yeah, you see. So Colombia Colombia is the, um, wow, though, look at the amount of money per capita, though. That's pretty shitty. That's pretty crazy. So Colombia is the third at, it, their GDP annually is $380 billion. Can you believe Jeff, Jeff Bezos? Jeff Bezos is, oh, this is not even in order. What am I talking about? Argentina's up here. Uh... Colombia's number four. Boom. Nailed it. I didn't put Argentina up there because I knew they were dealing with uh, with inflation issues, but I guess they're number three. So uh, Brazil, Mexico, called it. Argentina, didn't see that. Colombia, Chile, didn't see that. Peru, forgot. Venezuela, what the fuck? Ecuador, ninth. What? I was wrong about Ecuador. Maybe I got that mixed up with Chile. But anyways, um, this is listed by... 2019 okay 2019 so brazil mexico argentina it makes sense because we haven't gone through 2020 yet um colombia number four and their gdp per capita actually improved over what i just saw on this list actually where was that i don't know where i saw that at but um colombia's gdp per capita is uh fifteen thousand dollars uh so that means that's the amount of revenue generated by every individual but that's not that's not evenly distributed. Clearly uh, you can't like, for instance, if you do the GDP uh, per capita in the United States, it's probably ridiculous, but no one's making that much money. Um, but look at that. That is pretty wild. Argentina coming back. Love it there. If you love, if you love meat or wine, Argentina has some of the best wine and meat and it has the best soccer player of all time. Lionel Messi. I hope you leave uh, Barcelona, my friend. I will follow you wherever you go. I hope you and and Dirtbag uh, Ronaldo actually get put on a team together. That would make me kind of like Ronaldo because that would be freaking insane. You would see a destructive force for the next three years if you saw those two players uh, work together um, and play for the same soccer team. I, I would be I would be shitting my pants if I ever saw Ronaldo and Messi on the same team. But anyways. Um. Yeah, it's just it's it's crazy to think that these countries, when you look at this, that they can afford something as much as, you know, seventeen hundred dollars when their minimum wage is that much a month. Where was that number at? Where was that at? Anyways, it was like on average like five hundred dollars a month, and most of those people's all their money is gone at that point. Like their it cost of living, I said, uh, matches and exceeds minimum wage easily. So that most people have to live with other people and their family just to be able to exist and survive because food and everything of that nature is pretty expensive. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's as backwards. I don't even know how I got into talking about this conversation, but anyways, 
I, I just think like a lot of systems definitely can, can be improved. And I think having someone in there, Oh, I was talking about like just a, a moderate party. I think we need to focus on developing a strong third party and that's the moderate party. And all their agenda is, is to just listen to constituents, take in their money, right? You, you donate to someone that you believe in that's going to actually make change. And when this person comes in and if they don't make the change, then you vote them out. You don't keep voting for the same person, but that moderate party is, is, is the party that listens. They should align themselves as the party that listens I promise you, I, I, I told myself this before, I'm going to tell myself this again, that if um, that if, if, I, if my daughter becomes 18 years old and chooses to, to do her own thing at that point or whatever she chooses to do, at 18 she's now considered an adult, I'm running for, for, um, for office. I'm definitely going to do it. I'm going to get into politics. Um, I want to start getting involved in politics period, but I don't want, I don't want to get involved while I'm, um, having a family. That's not what I want to do. I definitely want to do it when my daughter's a lot older. So in 17 years, 17 and a half years, 17 and a quarter years in the year, uh, 2038, 2038. Is there a, let's see, uh, presidential. So we have 2024, 2028. So 2040 is the the earliest I can run for president. I'm not going to do that. But 2038, I can run for Senate. I can run for uh, Senate or, or House for sure. And so definitely going to do that. And um, I, I if there if there's no moderate party moderate party by then, uh, that's my going to be my my whole agenda. It's just to hear both sides, come to an agreement. Look, there's nothing, nothing's black and white, everyone. Let's come to a gray area. Let's just get together and try to solve issues. And I, I know for a fact a lot of people can agree on certain things, and we just need to unify ourselves over what we can agree on. And, and the first things first is that we're Americans. But either way, uh, this podcast is, has gone very smoothly. I've been live um and not a single issue with camera with audio um we talked about a lot of different things i had a few get like few viewers come in and out but that's great you know doesn't really matter at at the end it's just staying consistent remember guys like i always said the most important thing you can always do is just stay consistent and so if if people understand that i'm going to be doing this every sunday at 6 p.m you know every single time then I'll get more and more viewers and uh, I'll be able to market it as well a lot more because I'll feel comfortable with the fact that I'm, I'm doing that. I'm very hesitant to do certain things when it comes to marketing myself because I'm just learning from my past experience when I had my own Twitch channel and when I was streaming video gaming and I blew up and then I took a break. Um, if you didn't have a chance to listen to my my uh, my streaming a podcast session like the the whole week that I spent talking about it and then I had a phenomenal guest on her name was Julie Clark and she uh has blown up on Twitch in less than a year has hit partner status and has over, well over 150 viewers on average watching her stream and she just is doing it playing music something I didn't think was ever 
in a capacity that anyone could really do and making a professional career out of streaming. But honestly, you can make a professional career out of streaming just doing almost anything nowadays. And um, I, I, I was, I brought up the fact that like when I was talking to her that one of the things that really hurt what I did was I blew up, did really well. And I, I was no far, not that far from her when I was taking it serious. I would on average have like 80 to 90 viewers on average, which is a lot when you're talking about, you know, congruent viewers. It's not like nowhere near like the, the top 1% of people that are streaming, but 90, 90 viewers, you can make uh, extra living off of that, like a good amount of money from that. And so I know Julie's almost replaced her entirety of what she was making before from what she was doing in the past with having 150 plus viewers on average, not breaking 200. And so just to let you know, I mean, there's a ton of money to be made in that. So like when I was making 90, it was a good amount of money that I was making, especially when I was still working at the time too. And so, um, but one of the things that still follow me to this day was just the fact that I wasn't consistent. And so I, I've been very hesitant to market what I'm doing because of the fact that I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose that consistency, but I have to drop that fear as well because I'm very proud of where I'm at now. Like I talked about this a couple of days ago, you know, two days ago I hit on this past Friday, 90 episodes straight, not missing a single day. And I'm about to hit a hundred soon in, in eight days. And so on not this Monday, but the Monday afterwards, I'm going to, that's going to be my hundredth episode and I'm not missing a single one. And I've had a lot of stuff happen in between all these episodes, but I've always found the time to just get in front of the mic for a second and just turn on the record button and just do this. And so it's, it's definitely something that I know for a fact I'm going to keep doing. So I need to get over this, this hesitation to market myself and really start focusing on that. And so I tried a little bit. I, I told, I put on my stories on Facebook or Facebook on Instagram that was going live, but I, I just, it was last minute. I literally did it right when I was going live. And so uh, I need to be better about not doing that. And uh, now actually starting to market it now throughout the week. And so we'll see how that goes. And, and I'm looking forward to gaining more, more, by the way, I am getting way more listeners. I don't know what it is like on, uh, not so much on the YouTube, but on like my, my average listeners on my podcast, it's going up a lot more. And I don't know what it is. I, I think a lot more people are bringing me up to their Amazon echoes and, and their, um, Google homes. I don't know what it is. It like the analytics tells there's a big percentage of the graph that tells me like 43% of the people are coming from other source. And I don't know what other source is. I'm assuming it's from those resources. So, um, either way though, I'm going to end the note on this podcast is it's gone on for, for quite a bit. Actually, it's almost like an hour and a half. I think, um, yeah, almost, almost on the dot an hour and a half. And so, uh, I just want to thank everyone again for, for hearing me out. Um, and, and just sticking with me and being super patient with me as well. I love doing these and, uh, I'm not, I don't see myself stopping and I, I keep, you know, I'm definitely going to keep seeing it grow, you know, having the YouTube channel now live streaming and, and being blasted everywhere podcast wise. is just so exciting. It really is. Uh, it still reminds me of just like a, four days ago when my mom was telling me that she, asked for her son's name podcast. So Jason Navarro podcast on, on Google. And then it, it started playing my, my podcast. It just, it really brought so much excitement to me. Um, so anyways, 
Thank you guys all for tuning in. Thank you guys for for coming in and out, uh, for hearing me out, for listening, for following me, for continuing being a part of this this endeavor. And I look forward to doing more of these in the future. I love you guys truly, and I'll catch you guys uh, mañana. Peace.